This is Unmind with Great Cloud Michael Elliston Roshi. Updated Noble Truths 1. The four noble truths, do they still hold true? In the era of fake news, are there still just four? To elicit the bigger picture of the place of Zen and Zazen in our world of practice, I would like to refer you to a couple of semantic models illustrating the interrelationships or operative interfaces of the various components of the Four Noble Truths, along with the dimensions of the Noble Eightfold Path that we all encounter on a daily basis, both on the cushion and off. Turning to Buddhism's Four Noble Truths, we see that they can be modeled as a system, the simplest geometry for which is the four-pointed tetrahedron, a system here defined as anything exhibiting an inside and an outside. The model shows their interconnectedness from one to two, to three to four, from two to three and four, etc. There are six relationships of the four points to each other. How does the existence of suffering relate to its origin, craving, and so on and on. Go to the Unmind webpage to see my, my diagram of the Four Noble Truths as a four-pointed tetrahedron. The link to the page is in the show notes for this episode. The four are usually presented in a linear layout in text beginning with the first noble truth of the existence of suffering, or dukkha, followed by its origin, its cessation, finally the noble eightfold path, which leads to the cessation of suffering in daily life. First, we must challenge the appropriateness of the word suffering to translate the meaning of the Sanskrit word Dukkha. Unfortunately, suffering is fraught with narrow connotations of human pain, not only physical but emotional, mental, and even existential in nature. But I do not believe that this is the intended meaning of the original term. Buddha was expounding a universal principle, that of unrelenting, inexorable change which we naturally interpret from the perspective of our personal angst as suffering. The Noble Eightfold Path extends this description of reality into a prescription for practice in daily life. Visit the web page in the show notes to see the diagram illustrating the interconnectedness and interdependence of the elements of the Eightfold Path. A common example you talk the talk, but you do not walk the walk. A functional disconnect between right speech and right action. As you reflect upon the Noble Eightfold Path, consider how the interdependence of the eight dimensions reinforce each other. 
How does right view influence right thought or right speech? Where does right action connect with right livelihood and right effort? Is right mindfulness dependent upon right effort? And does it then lead to right meditation? Or is it the other way around? Zen tradition claims to transmit the right meditation practiced by Shakyamuni, the historical Buddha, progenitor of Buddhism. But we recognize the absolute relevance and modernity of his message, privileging the simplified approach of Zen. Note that the eight dimensions are numbered in reverse order. Right view, number one, being more a result than a starting point. Right meditation, number eight, is where we must begin. As mentioned in Unmind number 131, the Noble Enfold Path, the traditional division of Buddhism's Noble Eightfold Path may have to be updated to reflect the complexity of living in modern times. Nowadays, we might want to add more dimensions to the original eight prescribed for practice in a simpler time. Perhaps today we would end up with a noble 32-fold path as the last of the 16 noble truths. In Unmind number 131, I mused upon the notion of adding right balance to the mix. What with the geometrically expanded choices we face in pursuing right speech, action, and livelihood, and the challenges of living a Zen life in the midst of overchoice, the temptations and distractions pulling on us from all directions while we navigate the tightrope and keep all the balls in the air. We hope that we can have it all, especially compared to our ancestors in Zen. But living large exacts a steep price. To cite just a few of the dimensions of our modern milieu, distinctions with a tangible difference from ancient times, challenging our sense of balance today. Travel, Buddha's ecological sweepout, to borrow a Bucky Fullerism, was limited to the radius he could reach on foot by donkey or elephant, though there were likely significant incoming influences from the Silk Road and other trade routes. One of our senior priests made the point that for the first time in history, every individual on the planet is potentially only one plane ride away from every other person. This has all kinds of implications, some positive, some not so much, such as the boost it gives to viral vectors spreading disease globally with blinding speed. Technology, the interconnectivity of masses of people around the world with advances in applications that provide automatic translation of languages live video and audio recording and reporting of events on an unprecedented scale and scope of detail and timeliness is a double-edged sword, a tool that can be used for good or ill, 
depending on the intent of senders and receivers of the message. The old school formulas that the medium is the message, communication is not the message sent but the message received, no longer hold in a world of technology that allows anyone to put any words they wish in the mouths of anyone they want. It is impossible to catch up with even the jargon that attempts to keep up with the scams popping up like weeds in the garden. From a Buddhist perspective, the upside is that world around digital media have established a technical analogy to Avalokiteshvara, who sees and hears the suffering of the world and comes to help in her mission as the Bodhisattva of compassion. One can hope. Education. In Buddha's time, and for the vast majority of the development of human civilization, choices in education were severely limited, primarily to learning the trade or craft of one's ancestral family. Compared to today's nearly unlimited potential for social mobility, promising transcendence of the caste or class system, implicit or explicit, into which we are born. One current downside is the emergence of massive student loan debt, a significant burden for those who have elected to finance higher degrees, which do not guarantee a successful career with the ability to pay off that debt. Corporatization, an awkward word to label an awkward development. Another significant difference in our world and that of the Buddha is the predominance of the corporate entity, which I suppose first reared its ugly head with the formation of the city-states of Greece and reached its apogee in the Citizens United decision of Scotus. Not that corporations are necessarily bad. There are some that are dedicated to doing good, such as not-for-profit 501c3s incorporated for various charitable missions. But the human beings populating the corporate entities as members of the board and other controlling positions are still human and can do more harm with the collective power and reach of the corporation than they might be able to do individually. I could go on. For example, with the current spate of international wars, widespread drug addiction, and the senseless gun violence that had become our new dystopian normal, were certainly not the norm 2,500 years ago. But suffice it to say that Buddha did not have to cope with this scale and scope of the onslaught of global insanity, though the self-striving nature of humanity underlying the chaos, has not fundamentally changed since his times. We would likely find it unlikely to find an apt analogy to Dogen's time, let alone Buddha's. When we comprehend the Four Noble Truths as mutually interacting, but constrained within the limits of the context of early Indian subculture, we can update them to the 21st century by constructing our own menu of actionable items 
based on today's realities. You could, with some imagination, build your own personal set of noble truths, four or more, and suss out the vectors of a modern path that transcend those outlined by the Buddha. He would appreciate your efforts, I am sure. Let me encourage you to engage in such a creative exercise between now and when we meet again. Contemplate what the, quote, existence of suffering means to you, how you are to, quote, fully understand it, what attitude adjustments and actionable items on your particular path may be undertaken to transform that suffering into the right view of wisdom. Remember to consider the relationships between the various path factors that you identify, rather than treat each in isolation. In the next segment, I will attempt to expand the context even further into those surrounding spheres of influence on our daily lives, as well as our contemporary practice of Zen, well beyond the personal and social, to include the natural and the universal. Buckle up. Unmind is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at aszc.org. You can support these teachings by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.